So I have a question. What do the following originators and great leaders have in common? Craig Strent, Josh Metal, Ryan Grant, Tyler Osby, and Caleb LeGrand. The answer is they're all members of the Leadership 360 family. And they've all graduated from the L360 Signature Program, a one-year coaching program that includes an eight-day business and life planning retreat in Costa Rica and a four-day implementation retreat in Malibu, along with one-on-one -on -one and group coaching for an entire year. Gang, this is the only one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do. So if you want to have an opportunity to work with me, this would be about how you'd go about doing that. There's nothing like it, I can assure you of that. We've been perfecting and evolving this for over a decade now. The program is exclusive to only 12 people annually. That's it. And there are three of us as coaches, myself, Scott, and Julie, that work intimately with our clients for a one-year period of time. Apply now so we can get to know each other a little bit and assess whether there's a mutual fit. And the way that you do that is you go to leadership360now.com. Once again, leadership 360now.com or you can click on the link in the show notes of this episode that's leadership360now.com and for more information if you want to see what the current group is experiencing we've asked them to record some testimonials they're also in the show notes of this episode as well i hope that you enjoy today's episode of the 360 experience Welcome to the 360 Experience. I am your host, Tim Brahim, and today's episode is with uh, someone who needs no introduction within the realms of the mortgage space. Barry Habib has been a legend within the mortgage industry for uh, for about 25 years now. If you're not in the mortgage space, I want to certainly tell you a little bit about him. He is the CEO of MBS Highway, which is the top educational platform within the mortgage industry to teach mortgage professionals about the financial markets uh, and the trading of mortgage-backed securities and the fluctuations in interest rates, obviously, with inflation and things of that nature. Uh, this is an invaluable resource at this time. He's, he's also an American entrepreneur. A number one Amazon uh, best-selling author of Money in the Streets, um, which is a terrific book that uh, that many people have shared with me that they enjoy. Uh, widely credited uh, was Barry for having a huge impact. He testified in front of the Federal Reserve during the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 when the financial markets were on edge. The Fed was pumping a lot of liquidity into the system, and the mortgage industry um, was on um, on thin ice, so to speak, because of potential margin calls. And his testimony to the Fed was widely credited with kind of settling down the, the mortgage-backed securities market. Um, additionally, he is a former mortgage professional. He funded over $2 billion in mortgage production in his career. Um, and I think beyond all of that, Barry is just an incredibly articulate, knowledgeable, and educated man who does an absolutely incredible job of teaching in a wide variety of different aspects of business and in life. So without further ado, please enjoy my episode with Barry Habib and the 360 Experience. What's up, Barry? Well, it's so good to see you, buddy. Happy holidays and happy new year. And uh, I mean, this is being shown or listened to in early January. We're, we're right before new year's, but happy holidays, bro. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's have a great year together, right? It's uh, the, the, seems like the months and years just keep turning a lot faster each time. Yeah, they're not slowing down for us. I mean, uh, we got to keep up the pace, right? Um, yes. So I want to, 
I want to just kind of take a little bit of a different approach just to get started. Let's just talk a little bit about our history together. I mean, you know, we've had some good times together back in the back about 20 years ago. Uh, one of the things that I know about you, I think a lot of people know about you, but man, you love to laugh. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy very much about you. We've had some some fun laughs and shared some very uh, enjoyable TV shows, et cetera, over the years. So, um, man, it's good to be reconnected with you and, and thank you for for being here. And I know that this is just going to be super fun. So really welcome to welcome to the episode. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of laughs and a lot of jokes. I mean, that's, that's one of the best things in life, right, is to laugh. So it's important that we try and do that all the time. And yeah, a lot of memorable TV shows. You turn me on to quite a few good ones, bro. <laughs> you know, um, you, you turned me on to The Offer um, the last time we were on together. And man, yeah. I devoured that thing. It was so good. I loved it. It's on uh, Paramount Plus. It was wonderful. Fascinating. So Fascinating documentary. And, you know, those of those people that are listening that have known you and I for years, you know, off st on stage and all that kind of stuff may not be aware of how sick our sense of humor can be. Sometimes I think we share that as a common, common denominator. Man, laughter is really a medicine, isn't it? I mean, I love how you use laughter when, when you speak, how do you source that stuff? Like, I mean, you must spend a lot of time finding like the right clips and, you know, just funny cutaways and stuff to infuse in your presentation. You know, it's interesting in that I don't actually look for it, look for it. But when I find something or when I hear something, uh, and, and I, I think this is just a universal way that I look at things in general. And, I, and it's one of the things I'd love for people to perhaps, if you're not doing it already, to start doing it is don't just learn to consume. Don't just observe or enjoy to consume. And I know you do this all the time, Tim, is when you find something or you come upon something or you hear something, or you listen to something or you read something, take it in for a minute, really understand it, and then figure out a way, a lens that you could share it with others. And because, you know, you and I are on stage and we, and we do a lot of videos, it's, it's easy to do. Like I do a daily update every day. So we, we have ways that we can get that out there. But if I find something that I can relate it to what we do in our industry or to our audience. Um, that's something that I really think about consuming it with that lens. You know, most of the time we don't consume it with that lens. We consume it with a, you know, oh, this is just going to be great for me to take in and it's enjoyable or it's funny or it's, it's interesting or I've learned something, but take it in and then you have to really digest it because it's different than just consuming it than it is to take it in in a way that allows you to digest it and think about it and how can i then teach this or relate it to what we're doing or make it analogous to what we're doing so yeah it's interesting that you bring that up here right away because it's an important lesson i think if, if we want to um, to make our experiences with others make it memorable for them become more magnetic these are the types of things that we want to do. Look, when you come in contact with people, if you make them feel better, you make them feel smarter, uh, they will be drawn to you, which is the definition of being magnetic. I love where we got where we got started here. This is I I do this stuff inherently all the time too, like you're describing. Um, and I guess the, the thing that I would want to add to that is just make sure that you understand that. You know, people are people and people have interests. I mean, you find something cool about kids, you find something a great show. I mean, just 
the loan officer with the most friends wins. I mean, if we're talking the mortgage business, if we're not talking the mortgage business, it's it's whatever business you're in. I mean, the more relationships you have, the more successful you're going to be. I mean, I actually want to dive down that rabbit hole with you in just a minute about like how you cultivate relationships. Cause I think you're better at it than most anybody I know. And the other day you and I were talking and you just like dropped the fact that, you know, Tony Robbins, I'm like, shit, man. I mean, I'm not surprised, but like, I want to hear that story. So one other thing though, before we go there is how do you capture it? Like, do you have a mechanism for capturing content and organizing it in some way or is there a system there or is it just like you you capture it you digest it and then you think immediately about who could benefit from this and you pump it out like how does that work so let's just say if it's something that i'm i'm reading uh what i'll do is i'll think about it but don't just like read it quickly like like i'll I'll have to actually stop and just think about it so i can understand the mechanism of it you know and, and really kind of break it down and understand it and then I try and take it a step further. I mean, do I agree with this? Do I disagree? What's some holes I could poke into? So it, it takes me a little bit of a longer time to read through stuff that's that's interesting. And you know, there's, there's people that I really respect that uh, their points of view are really good. And you know, I've become good friends with many of them. You know, John Malden's a brilliant writer, and he's a great thought leader. You know, David Rosenberg, who I don't always agree with, but I think he's got a really good sense of insights. And while I don't agree, I admire his ability to go beneath the surface and dig things out. And that makes me question, am I right in my belief? Or do I even feel more conviction because I could see where I disagree with him? Uh, Peter Bookfar is another one. And, you know, there, There's several of them, you know, Lacey Hunt, people that I really respect. So when I read their stuff or listen to them, I try to go slow mentally, you know, just, just like dial it down to where the intake comes in slower so I could really go through it, understand it. And then the best way we learn is by teaching, right? So so uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll just talk to somebody about it because that helps me process it better and it'll help me. And like, you know, like, like so, so Dan, so Dan and I work close together. So, or it could be Dan, it could be anybody within the company. I'll, I'll talk it through with them where I have a great sounding board because when we do our daily updates, there's five of us that get on camera, but there's really like nine of us that put it together. So just, just an interesting thing. So today I'm watching CNBC and uh, they started talking about Southwest, right? And everybody's been crapping all over Southwest because they canceled so many flights. And clearly it is annoying as heck to have your holiday plans ruined because of canceled flights. But what they don't understand is the mechanism of it, right? So I was just curious about it because I like to research things. So, and, and because I fly so much, this is important to me. Most airlines, you know, your Deltas, your Americans, your Uniteds, they use a system for how they get there with hub and spoke. So you have a hub and you know, New York, New Jersey is a hub. And most of the time I'm in Florida, so you got Americans in Miami, but, um, when you when you take this hub and spoke system, if you live in a spoke in in a hub, you can pretty much get anywhere in a direct flight. And you, I know, fly a lot. I fly a ton, so it really sucks to take connecting flights because whatever could go wrong, you now doubled your chances, right? And it just sucks. It sucks. It makes everything longer. It, it's miserable. So direct flights always better. But let's just say if you're in a remote location, not maybe necessarily remote, but you just don't have a hub where you are, which a lot of cities are you oftentimes to get to a non-hub area to make that trip, 
you've got to take a connecting flight because it's difficult. You have and really go out of your way to go to a hub and then from there go to one of their outlets. And I know it's a long way to explain it, but it's just just follow me for a second here mentally. So when you do the research, you then understand that, okay, so everybody could shit all over Southwest, but Southwest doesn't have a hub. Picture a bus, a bus that makes all these stops along the way. So they, they're going from like remote location to remote location and making these connections, which nobody else does. Now that works beautifully because you're doing work nobody else does, so it's great for business, but there is logistically difficult times like when there are cancellations, the reason it's harder on them is because they don't have a hub that they can make replacement parts, replace the aircraft, replace the crew. Replace. They're dependent on the next bus stop or the next bus stop because the FAA only allows you to fly a specific amount of hours. There's very strict restrictions. You have to have rest. So their crew gets picked up on one of these bus stops as well as passengers. So it's not like a hub where there's a lot of interchangeable parts. So if one area gets stopped, well, then all the other stops are going to get screwed. It's not like the hub and spoke. So while everybody's shitting all over Southwest, what they don't realize is by, if you're going to say, okay, they got to pay for this, they got to do this, they got well, then you just screwed yourself because now you're going to have to take connecting flights because if you put them in a bad spot and overrate. So I know that it's a long way to go about it, but what I try to do is see things that are not obvious. And it's just training your mind to think deeper. Like when the headline says this, don't take it at face value. Understand why they're saying that because you'll you, what you really will notice is that you are all so much smarter than the people who are relaying the news and can be do because they don't research it. They just spit it back out and they're going to spit it out in a way that gets the most headlines, which is going to be the nastiest, dirtiest way to do it. I love that. All of that. Um, I want to comment on just a couple of things. First of all, I, I thought I was going to have to text you last night and tell you we have to reschedule this conversation because my flight with Southwest coming back from Salt Lake to LA got canceled. Fortunately, I got on a red eye with Delta. Um, but that's a great example because yeah, I was like, wow, their systems are really beat up and what happened here. And, but I didn't understand the whole hub and spoke thing and it totally makes sense to me. But what I'm really hearing at a, at a broader level in what you're sharing is that you're in, you're incorporating curiosity into your everyday way of being like, and that's such a virtue. Like, I think that, I don't think that people use the word or contemplate the word curiosity enough because curiosity is the springboard for growth. I mean, when we're kids, we're curious and we grow a lot you know, we evolve, we try new things, et cetera. The older we get, we tend to get very set in our ways, very closed, and we don't embody this incredible virtue of curiosity. And what, what I'm hearing is that you're always curious. That's what's making you always learn. And then I'm going to guess and comment on this, that you then turn around with that curious learning and then use it to teach. And as a result of teaching, completely broaden your network. And if that is true, what I'd love to talk to you next a little bit about is networking, because this isn't a topic, it's a science, I think, and there's a system and a philosophy to it. I don't consider myself to be a good networker. I, I in the past, was much more introverted, so that wasn't really my, my thing. But I don't consider you to be introverted, and I think you're a master networker. So comment on anything that I just shared if you want, but also like if you want to take it down the networking route and how you meet people and, and, and all that, that, that would be great. 
Well, so one thing, Tim, you have a very high likability quality to people just like you. And, and that's just because the way you are, you, you always are, there's the old saying is if you want to be interesting, be interested. So I think one thing of many, many, many things that you do extremely well is you are interested. And that's an important aspect of being likable because, you know, if you show an interest in someone and that that's important. So all of us that are in sales, it's important to be interested. It's easy to get into the whole thing about yourself and but and while that's okay and people want to learn about you, right? But you should also be interested in others. So that's a critical element to increasing your likability qualities. Now, as we try to network with others, you know, that magnetism is very important. And you can't give what you don't have. So that means you have to put work into networking before you do it. Um when I would go to an event, I would actually try and get pictures of people that I wanted to meet so I could recognize their face and I knew what to go. Up. And I'd actually do a little research on them. So now if you don't want to go to those extremes so that you can be an effective networker, then at least ask the questions like you do, Tim, when being interested and then you learn so much about someone and then you could follow up, you find points where you could be uh, having that relatable uh, quality with that individual. And then I think it's also important for us to do the best we can to plant seeds when the ground is fertile. You know, unwanted advice is oftentimes resented. So you have to be careful because sometimes if you try to be helpful and offer advice, it could be taken the wrong way. So I always like to start by asking questions and then if you learn something where your experience has been able to be helpful there, um, maybe you could just relate it to your experience. And, you know, well, because you said this, you know, uh, I, I can relate to that. And, you know, what I wound up doing is I wound up doing this. And it's not you giving advice, you're just sharing an experience. And that then might give them something that they can learn with. So I, I think that there, you're, you're right. It is an art form. The only way you get better in the art form is to continuously trial and error practice uh, and as you practice, make sure you're sensitive to the feedback you're getting, pick up on the body language, pick up on the follow-ups, you know, the person doesn't have to just walk away from you and run, you know, for you to get the vibe that what you're saying isn't making sense. But are, are they are they looking elsewhere when they're talking to you? Are they engaged? Um, because if, if you're talking about things that they're interested in, they're certainly going to be engaged with you. And if you're boring the shit out of them, they're going to, you know, they're going to, their mind's going to wander. And you can see that if you're picking up on the cues. Shit, man. There was a lot of gold in those three minutes there. Like you said, a whole bunch of things like this is definitely something that I want to encourage everyone to rewind that. Listen to that again. There's probably like 10 critically important things that you said. And I just learned a lot. Yeah. Picking up on the cues, you know, when you overstayed your welcome, but like also you know, there's also this element you find when you talk with people sometimes, especially strong personalities. And I have to be careful of this myself that like the person's insecurities of wanting to be important are kicking into this quote unquote networking engagement. And what they're actually really doing is one upping. They're like, they're like telling like some, you know, the, if I'm networking with you, you're sharing with something, something with me that's meaningful to you. And then I'm not really listening. I'm trying, I'm thinking about how I can like tell my story. That's, just as good, you know, and that's not, 
that's not going to connect you with people when it comes to networking. Um, I love the pictures of people in advance so you can recognize them doing a little bit of homework on them. And what do you save that to your phone or something? So when you take, when you go to an event, you, you have that dialed in. You know, well, God blessed me with a pretty good memory. So, um, you know, I'll look at them, um, before I, I haven't done this in a bit, but I used to, if there was an, an event that I wanted to go to, and there was people that I really wanted to meet and talk to, do a little research about them so that some commonalities that I could find. And also, you know what, show them the respect of that. Look, I care enough about wanting to meet you that I've done a little research. That's very flattering to somebody, quite honestly, you know, that like, I, I really care about this. This is important to me. You're someone that I really want to meet. And I've actually, you know, spent a little bit of time learning about you because look, if you meet an important person, think about how, you know, from their ego's point of view. So what do you do? You know, meanwhile, they're one of the top people in their field or whatever it is. So if you do a little bit of research on who the important people are that you'd like to meet with and you understand a little bit about them, then it shows that you've you've put the time in it. It, it gives them the respect that you know, they've worked so hard to earn. You know, I, I, I would go to some conferences sometimes, you know, where there'd be a lot of top level money managers or investors and they're quite impressed when you know a little bit about them, a little bit about who they are. I'm not saying you want to stalk them or whatever, but you know, just learn a little bit about them so they they know, oh yeah, and, and that book that you wrote was great. Or, you know, I understand, you know, I, I was very interested when you spoke about this. And you know, just to, to break the ice a little bit and allow you to have a conversation that goes a little bit deeper than the superficial. How's the weather? Yeah. You don't want to say anything like, so how's, you know, Carol referencing their wife. It's a little, it's a little creepy at that That's point. Creepy. Right? And we, okay. We move into the creepy realm. I just right. wanted to make sure that we define the boundary there. So, yes. okay. So, but what about like likability factor? Like, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but I, it's interesting, man. Like I, over the years of, I mean, I remember people that I worked with when I was an originator that I, there were colleagues of mine and, you know, all the way through the present, where it's just like, no matter what strategy you give to them to deploy, no matter what materials, marketing, education, information, if you don't have that likability factor, it it really kind of wrecks everything, right? And like, yeah. do you have anything to say about that? Like how to cultivate I, I, a likability factor? I do. I'm dating myself, but there was a show Columbo back in the day where, you know, he was just a brilliant detective, but he would never like show it as he was brilliant. He'd always like, you know, like... Uh, you know, like, like he made it like he wasn't as smart as he was. And sometimes if you're too polished, you're too perfect, you're too slick, that doesn't help your likability quality because people just can't relate to that. Okay. Um, so you have to, you have to take the edge off of that a little bit and don't be afraid to show your flaws and to show your weaknesses. Cause we all have, and there's all things that we all suck at. We all struggle with, you know, there's all things. And I think sharing that humanizes you and allows the person to feel more comfortable around you because, you know, even if you are very successful, you can be intimidating to somebody else and it can make them self-conscious of their own shortcomings as opposed to, if you humanize yourself and we're not that different. I happen to be okay or good at this, but there's a lot of things I'm not and there's a lot that I need to learn is the attitude that you should go into things with. Because no matter how successful we are, you know, we, we all suck at a lot of things. We all can be better at a lot of things. And 
I think that if you just keep an even mindset about it and understand that we're all we're all trying to figure this out, as you say, Tim, we're all trying to learn and get through this uh, together. And, you know, one thing we have to understand too is no matter who you are, you know, you will we will all suffer, right? We, we will all suffer. Um, we'll all have hardships. We'll all um, going to go through some difficult times. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, we will all suffer. And uh, and that's a great connector for us is understanding the human side of things is that we all can use help. We all can use encouragement. Confidence is very fragile. Um, you know, and, and by the way, and, and don't be schmoozy. Don't bullshit. Don't, you know, don't like it's it's nice to be kind. It's nice to be gracious. But people could read through if it's thick bullshit. OK, there's, there's a line that comes between you know, being gentle and kind and, and and nice and, you know, and emphasizing some nice things. And then it's like going overboard. So you got to walk that line. Yeah. And I'll just add one other thing is just be you, you know, like yes. it's, it's pretty, <laughs> you know, like for you, I would, I think that it kind of really boils down to maybe being self-aware enough to, to kind of ask yourself the really honest rhetorical question of like, what are my gifts? Like, what are the things that make me special and how do I cultivate and leverage that to, to be a good networker? So, you know, um, you're funny and you're smart. I think those are both truisms. And I would imagine you use both of those, you know, humor, you know, like is a connector, right? Like, so if you can say something witty and, and, and appropriate and get somebody to let their guard down a little bit and they laugh, you're giving them a gift by making them laugh. But what other gifts can you give them? You can give them the gift of your presence. Some people are like my wife is an example who are just incredibly present, um, compassionate human being. It's like, it's such a gift to be in the presence of somebody like that. Or my, my colleague, Julie Wikes, who's one of the great coaches that I've ever known. I mean, that's her superpowers, her presence, and her compassion. So, you know, whatever you can bring to the equation, bring it, but then just be you and don't, don't be too forced in your approach is what I'm hearing. Be prepared. Don't be forced is kind yeah. of like, like the summation that I would hear there. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah no, you, you nailed it. Uh, and, and when you are, you uh, try to be the best version of you, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. Don't, don't, you know, like, you can be a lot of versions of you, right? So you, it's it's good to try and always be the best version of you, especially when you're interacting with others. And and you know if you think about it, and, and just ask yourself this: Was that last interaction I have with the person I love was that the best version of me? Is that the best I could do? Was the the last interaction with my kids, with my parents, with my coworkers? Uh, was that the best version of me in that interaction? And, and I think that's important. And then, of course, when it comes to the referral source or with the customer, was that the best version of me that I can come up with? Was that the best version of me? And I think when you start to look at things that way and you want it to be the best version of you, um, it really increases your likability factor through the roof. Uh, if you want to network well, if you are you the best version of yourself, which means you got to put the work in, in in advance of that, right? So, uh, you know, if if you're, because well, just an example, was the last interaction you had with the customer one where in a mortgage business where you were taking their order, or did you advise them in a way that was extraordinarily meaningful to them? Did you really think about their financial future and understanding market conditions, both on the real estate market and interest rate environment and what would the drivers be so those are all things that are very important in the transaction yet not a lot of people 
do that well. So don't ever say, well, I just don't do that well. well th then get better at it. I mean, nobody came out of the womb understanding what the real estate market was going to do. This is all learned behavior. So just, just sharpen your skills constantly, you know. And, and what that does, Tim, is I am convinced that what that does is it breeds confidence. Well, hello, friends, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode of the 360 Experience podcast. To listen to the remainder of this episode, please visit us at The Loan Atlas, where you will also find the most comprehensive resource for mortgage professionals to build their practice, backed by the greatest faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. Check us out at the link below or go to theloanatlas.com. Look forward to having you as a guest on our next episode of the 360 Experience Podcast.